hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Here again, I'm your host, Naziati Muhammad Yaqob, on the topic of why do we use models? Part two. It is a reading from the book, The Model and Its Architecture, Patrick Healy. So we read the first three pages in part one, and we're going to continue with a few more pages. This is a reading of a book which um, the words are difficult, yes, and uh, you need to look them up, um, the definition of the words to understand clearly. However, I don't have the uh, luxury of doing that while I'm reading. So I'm going to make, um, you know, make sense of it through the understanding of the paragraph and the flow of the ideas in the book. So we start with the next page, continuing from part one. His view, which is Franker, Franker's view, suggests that there is indeed a passage from things in themselves or the semiological realm of raw materiality to graphomatic space. This passage constitute, constitutes the powerful functionality of inscription. Franker looks at the translation not through further graphomatics, but as translation to, into synthetic objects or structural models. Physical and graphical representation in the labor, laboratory is equally eidetic or edetic. This point is reinforced by a distinction once made by Gallison in his work, Images and Logic, and applied by Frank Kerr, namely that any representation of molecular structure does not stand in homomorphic relation to a reference, quote, out there, unquote, but only to other structural representations. They therefore should be considered as, quote, synthetic, unquote, representations or interpretations that stand in a homologic relation to empirical events and experimental phenomena, which they can be construed as explaining or predicting. All right, so it's just representation um, and graphomatic means in a graphic form and um, it is to do a representation of molecular structure, which um, is literal or um, it's not diverse. It's just one thing um, that you need to represent, the structural part of it, like a 3D diagram, really. So it's an uh, interpretation that is um, predictable or easy to explain. Next paragraph, the stronger argument that emerges is that there can be no such thing as comparing 
structural representation of a molecule to the real thing, quote unquote. Since it is through representational work that a molecular structure becomes coherently visible. We can only understand it when we make it representational, right? In chemistry, uh, in the study of chemistry and science. Frank Kerr then adds that the realm of molecular structures is essentially cultural, coextensive with the means chemists have given themselves to show, talk about, and work with structures, means which are ceteris paribus, Latin word, epistemically equivalent while phenomenologically distinct. It's all about uh, reading epistemically, you know, reading things, explaining things. And that's what chemists can do to represent molecular structures, but it may be in truth, phenomenologically different. Distinct, yeah. Here, one also sees the long consequence of Nietzsche's consideration in his seminal Uber Warheit and Luger im also moralischen Sinn, unquote. So, itself a complex fable that clever animals of the planet invented knowledge and took their intellect and intellectual activity to be the center of the world. Yeah. So it's a perspective by these clever animals, um, which are um, human beings, homo sapiens. Of their number, the most proud are the philosophers who think that the world turns on their thoughts and actions. In this distortion lies a monstrous claim which ignores that our intellect is, is simply another means of survival in the struggle for existence. All right, that's interesting, you know, uh, we struggle to exist, we must make sense of the world, we just put it out there in graphical forms uh, to be easily understood. Mm -hmm. The main way intellect shows itself is in pretending. The weak use feigning and deception, dissimulation when confronted by the stronger. Mankind is the highest exhibition of the ability to deceive and simulate. All right, simulation and deceive in one sentence. But no individual can manage this alone. And in order to survive the dependency on others, makes a truce in the struggle necessary, a fictional treaty which results in peace for a while. We need to not fight and just have more reflection and study, okay? It is this fiction which is the origin of truth and the source of the contrast between the truth and the lie. Thus even language is a result of conventions which produces signs to denote objects. Language is not the result of knowledge of things and denotations do not form a fit, quote unquote, for the facts. Thus, there is no correspondence theory of truth. Still, we're still in the conversation about why we use models 
And in the paragraphs that I read so far in this recording, talks about the representation is necessary for survival, necessary to depict what knowledge understood by something that cannot be seen by the eye, but knowledge understood by those who need to uh, convey the knowledge. And uh, in this respect, sometimes philosophers and the chemists themselves, they need to represent what they understand about the world that's invisible, like the atoms and molecules. And, and therefore, in the last statement, it says that there is no correspondence theory of truth, meaning that this, um, this is just representations, really. They're not necessarily fit for the facts. Language is not the result of knowledge of things and denotations not form a fit for the facts. So language is a way to convey, like in graphic communication, uh, architectural language, it is an interpretation or it is a, a way of explaining things. And um, just now it was interesting that the mentioning of simulation and de deceive. Mankind is the highest exhibition of the ability to deceive and simulate. So would it be that architecture architecture, meaning um, uh, to represent architecture, the architect uh, would need to simulate, would need to convey graphically their ideas. And um, therefore, um, explain or pitch for something to say that this is the truth. This is their truth. Um, yeah, this is what models are, really. Um, they're not being built yet. They're not the one that represent exactly what is to be built, but the models are essentially representing some form of theory, some form of concept. So this is when we relate model with an assertion or a hypothesis or a thesis or a concept or a theory. So a representation really. And this is what we, we understand the relationship between a model and a theory. And models itself can be a precedent for further ideas. You can adopt some precedents or models from an architect that um, that theorize um, his or her own ideas, and you can adopt it and adapt it to your ideas. That is the secondary, the secondary. When we talk about research, that will be the secondary uh, source, not the primary. It is not Eisenman. Let's just <coughs> use Eisenman in this matter, who comes out with a model of his ideas, which he read from uh, philosophers, Jacques Derrida and others, which he studied and he created his, his model. And it will be a precedent when another 
architect or designer take upon his idea of representation in their work, whether it is the method or whether learning about um, the mathematical or the other aspects that he, Eisenman originally originate from. Therefore, in, in doing design, it's a bit of like uh, the pro similar process, processes to research in a way if you want to look at methodology. So the, the designer who refers to Eisenman would need to know how Eisenman does it and not just adopt wholesale without knowing the how he originated, how Eisenman originated the idea. So, and that to me is because it is it based on truth? Yeah, I mean, this last paragraph, so talking about how um, language is not the result of knowledge of things and denotations do not form a fit for the facts. So it's just a conveyance of, of another set of meanings. And um, yeah, well, let me see. Let me go and read the next paragraph. Okay, the interesting illustrations here of the DNA, the structure of the double-stranded DNA, a DNA replication introduces DNA supercoiling, cloud chamber atlas, the domus, Chimacy, House of Chemistry by Labervius, Alchemy, Alchemia. Now for that, you see the um, uh, Eofan and Zotovsky Palace of the Soviet Second Project in 1934. You have Star Stalin or Lenin, I'm sure. Sculpture on top of this building, which looks like it's very high. Maybe uh, thirty stories, and we also have number two Vladimir Tatlin Monument to the Third International, as we know it. This houses auditoriums, um, a structure that is dynamic and looks as if it's made of steel in a cy cyclical um, movement. Um, going up as if that is the circulation or that's the main frame. And then you have Leonardo da Vinci Codex at Solanticus. A bunch of sketches here. Okay, those are the drawings. So we're not talking, when we talk about model, we're not exactly talking about three-dimensional model here, but drawings, yeah? So that even uh, put us out there that when we think about architecture and viewpoints, representation, it could just be drawings. And these drawings are three-dimensional in a way. Yes, they are three-dimensional. Correct. All these drawings depict things, even Leonardo da Vinci's Codex Atlanticus. There are different viewpoints in the sketches that he seems to be drawing. Something look like church design, um, Byzantium. Um, yeah, all the, the previous one as well, the chemistry, DNA, and others, even the um, house of chemistry. 
represents, uh, it's like the element, table of elements, but before they did table of elements, they did this. Okay, so we're going to this, pe uh, another page here. Nietzsche says that this point is obvious if we examine the variety and means by which many different languages draw distinctions and demarcations in an arbitrary way. Thus, we have to understand quote unquote metaphor and quote unquote concept. So we have to understand metaphor and concept. We rely on metaphors of things to advance a claim to know things in themselves. And these metaphors are far from any correspondence to original entities, obviously. When we talk about metaphor, I just thought about John Utzon's Sydney Opera House and many suggested metaphors, such as sails, turtles, and they're nothing to do with the original entities. It's what this paragraph is saying. Where words are transformed into concepts, this already means that we abandon the singular, completely individualized original experience, the irrelevance, which gives rise to it and trade in experience as generalized comparison. A concept is never a complete, a complete fit for an individual case. That is very important, actually. Uh, a door, a door can be, a door has certain criteria to make it a door. As opposed to a window or a ceiling or a roof, a door is a door, right? But there are several types of doors with different, uh, some have a grill, it's made of grill or it's wood or it has glass panels or it doesn't have a handle, it has a handle, a sliding door. So there are different doors. So this is what it means that a concept is never a complete, a complete fit for an individual case. It's not a specific individual case. It's a generalization. That is what uh, we're talking about when we talk about metaphors and concepts. The concept arises by identifying the non-identical. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, if it's so individualized, it's so specific to a thing, um, it is not really a concept in a way that it's just a one-off thing. But this is what it says. This is what I'm trying to understand here. The concept arises by identifying the non-identical. When you compare this door to another door or this clothing, you know, it can be fashion. It can be um, uh, a coat, yeah, a winter coat. This winter coat with another winter coat. So because... The concept is, it arises as a concept because by identifying the non-identical, it's not the exact thing. Therefore, there are the concepts because of this non-identical factor. The example of the leaf is given by Nietzsche in that no individual leaf is identical with any other. And the concept of leaf arose out of an arbitrary process of canceling individual differences. Right. So I don't know this background between what was the discussion that Nietzsche did, but when we talk about the leaf, now the leaf is a natural phenomenon and no two leaf 
are the same, except if they were from the same tree or the same species, obviously. But when you look at the different species, all the leaves are different. So um, I can't quite understand the concept of leaf arose out of an arbitrary process of cancelling individuals. So, okay, the idea that the concept of the leaf differs, you know, this leaf has this pattern, which is different than the other leaf, which has a different pattern. And it could be arose from the different need of that certain species, how it grow and evolve and, and survive. Yeah, survival com comes to the fore again. Okay, I'll stop it at that and trying to understand about concept and, and go further into this. Jürgen Ritzert makes the point that Nietzsche has not really left the problem of what he calls Fichte's circle. These are the compelling words of Fichte that Ritzert cites in his account of the problem in models and the concepts of ideology. Okay, problem in models and the concepts of ideology. So, so a model can represent the concepts of ideology. Uh, is it that, is it that, you know, I mean, just thinking about it before I read the paragraph that's going to be quoted from that book, um, an ideology that comes from a person's viewpoint, assertion, and argument, and there's a model, uh, and it represents a concept. So, if we're talking about um, generalization and individual cases, then what does it say here? This, okay, I'm going to read this from Fichte's Grundlage der Gesamten Wissenschaftslehre in 1794. He said, this, that finite mind necessarily has to posit something absolutely outside of himself, quote, a thing in itself, unquote, and yet has to acknowledge, on the other hand, that it exists only for him, quote, being a necessary noumenon, unquote, and represents that circle, which he has to expand into infinity, but out of which he cannot step. Well, this is criticism to Nietzsche, of course, regarding the leaf. So there's all the debate about concepts that are already representing models of concepts here. Well, if it's not from yourself, it's not from you, how can you actually ex explain other phenomena? And uh, for example, Nietzsche is trying to explain about the leaf and that there are different types of leaves. And the concept will arise from, the concept of a leaf arise from comparing different leaves, right? And, um, but here, Fichte's uh, thinking of a finite mind and which has the finite mind, which is human being as opposed to God, there's always, when it comes to all these philosophers, when you invoke God in it, then, okay, so God will, is infinite. God lives forever and ever. Human being will die one day, so infinite. The mind cannot expand. So why, how would you represent a model to explain the concepts when you yourself can't really, it's out of your boundary, it's, it's not easy to define. So, 
So there is a limitation to graphical representation and models, is that's what he, he meant. I mean, this is what I understand from what he meant. Okay, let's go and read the rest to see whether this true. So we're talking about metaphors and concepts earlier. It is the oblivion to differences that allows the myth of concepts as ideas which grasp essence or the true nature of things in themselves. There are in nature no forms and concepts, and Nietzsche will add no natural kinds, rather only what is inaccessible and indefinable for us. Nietzsche then deploys a metaphor to a metaphor, metaphor to talk about quote unquote truth, unquote, which is an agile and flexible army of metaphors, metonymies, and anthropomorphisms used so often by some tribe, they appear inevitable, and being truthful only really means that we keep to our customary metaphors. The quote lie, unquote, that is obliged in this is, and I follow Ritz's interpretation here, that our concepts have to miss the unrepresentable singularity of events. We speak according to convention, we lie out of fidelity to the tribe and its linguistic conventions. Otherwise, we are excluded and treated as outsiders. In Nietzsche's scenario, quote, reasonable persons, unquote, submit themselves to the, quote, dominion of abstractions, unquote. The immediacy of the moment is lost, betrayed in some higher instance, metaphors that are vivid and striking are reduced to schemes, images with fatidic and fatal power are transformed into concepts. Thus, the emergence of hierarchy, costs, and grades. Okay, that's another thing. The singular and incomparable event of the particular image and metaphor is forced into the Roman, quote, the Roman columbarium, unquote, of conceptual order, which claims to supply something more firm, general, better known and more human, the fullest development of Nietzsche's thinking as indicated below is to be found in Deleuze, primary text, difference and repetition. Well, that's one whole page that I've read and, um, and many paragraphs. And what I get from that is at the end, when you talk about the Roman columbarium, uh, we are talking about the Roman column, yeah? and how it is metaphorically metaphorically referred to human beings. I mean, the ionic, the slender ionic column, uh, yeah, we want to interpret Vitruvius Venustas and the classical orders, the slender ionic column that represent a female figure. And literally in some classical buildings like in the Acropolis, I forgot the name of it exactly, but a female figure is the column. Yeah, and it is a structural column. So now we're looking at edifices and, and, and 
representations instead of the built form to represent something metaphorically. Okay, I get it. And then the metaphors and concepts and the concept of the column, different, there are different types of columns. There is the, uh, um, uh, it escapes me those names, but I remember Corinthian, I remember Ionic, and there's two other columns, Doric, and there's another one. Okay, Doric, Ionic, Corinthian. So there are three columns. And this is the language that is being represented and the classical tradition, antiquity, and it was reproduced, adapted, adopted and adapted in the Renaissance and subsequently. So why those columns have those sort of forms and shapes in that sort of order and proportion and that is regarded as beauty by a singular viewpoint uh, and replicated and discussed by a bunch of architects and culturally accepted in <clears throat> among peoples, you know, uh, that, that represent their culture is very interesting. It's a very interesting thought about model and its architecture there and then you just talk about that. Well, I'll finish the last paragraph or so to see where we're going with this and this part, and then we'll stop it there. Um, for Nietzsche, the sclerosis of metaphor drains the vitality of experience and hardens and stiffens the, ma the quote, mass of images, unquote, which flow from the original faculty of human fantasy. Truth claims or validity claims dash Gültung Sanspruch dash are nothing more than the constraint exercised by the dominion, a quote, dominion of extractions, quote. Okay. Powers of abstraction which dominate discourse turn discourse into the tomb of impressions. Okay, then I'm, I'm thinking about classical architecture now. Nisus posits a tense disjunction between the reasonable man, quote, reasonable man, and, quote, intuitive man. Okay. Posits a tense disjunction between reasonable man and intuitive man. However, neither can dispense with the fundamental exigency of dissimulation and artifice, which belongs to any symbolic practice. Ritzet makes the point that reasonable or rational man has to pay the price by constantly working on the affirmation of discourse, permanently establishing its regulating forces and its constraints on the course of the individual life, and therefore unintentionally supports its imaginary uh, bracket ideological bracket qualities, which consists it in the quote lie and quote the regime of abstraction over intuition. Intuitive man aims at the dominion of life by art and even in the drive to tear the web of delusion apart, cannot avoid the imaginary quality of any symbolic practice. The quote unquote lie is necessary for existence even during the conduct of the truce. 
in the struggle for survival and human life transform into beauty and appearance by the intuitive type posited as the real is also a form of drastic obliteration. Well, all these relations cohere is the force of ideology, which also constitutes the subject within the imaginary loop. Yeah, the ideology, ideology of the Renaissance, um, you know, to adopt the classical tradition, for example. This is the reality of representation, not the act of Widas Piglung of an isometric mirroring, which is then somehow falsified or distorted. The imagery becomes true representation over and over presented to individuals in their real existence as the power of relations itself. So it is not that existing relations of production are presented, but what is represented is the polarity where there is a subject and real conditions of existence. This is what allows the functioning of actors in the social whole. Now, when we talk about the, the adoption of classical orders where technology has advanced, even in the 17th century and in uh, the following century, um, the limitations to which it was built uh, in antiquity during the, uh, during the Greek and Roman times, how the blocks are cut and place in a compressive way. Now, you know, with the advent of technology, you don't have to do it that way, but in a different way. And so there is the lie. The lie is the intuitive man say, why do we have to follow classical orders when we could design it differently or construct it differently, the model? And so I think this is what is being discussed here because uh, you need to have the functioning of access in the social whole. You don't want to disrupt what is the belief, the belief by that the, the community, uh, not community, but uh, the social, yeah. the society uh, at that time, what is acceptable culturally. Uh, Althusser's working on Nietzsche's situation is caught well in his famous definition of ideology. Uh, it's in French, quote, l'idéologie interpelle les individus en sujet. Quote. What does it say here? Okay, it doesn't have translation. So the paradox is that to make people compliant, an illusion of freedom and liberty and imaginary symbolic order must be first introduced as, quote, subject, unquote. This is not the idea of the, quote, other, unquote, true recognition constructing the subject. Rather, it is the more complex way in which meaning systems and imaginary relations are mobilized into significations, which cannot then be reduced either to something represented nor to source in the acting subject as they simply are the effects of the means of representation in which the ultimate aim is a submission to the hegemonical signification. However, however no matter what the complex instauration of ideological, ideological and imaginary processes is for the construction of the real, it is still the supposition that 3D models are seen as more real than their graphic counterparts. So, at the end of the day, creating a 3D model, physical 3D model, 
um, is more real than their graphical counterparts or drawings. This can be seen in the claim of Ferguson in his engineering and the mind's eye that the advantages of models is that they take the observer one step closer to reality than can a drawing. Well, okay, that's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, the advantages of models taking the observer one step closer to reality than can a drawing. But we always start with drawings, but we can always start with models. Drawing is, as drawing does, and it's the ability to draw. And in the mind's eye, um, would be developed into a three-dimensional 3D model. Now, the 3D model can be done instantaneously. You don't have to start with a 2D. You can start with a 3D. So um, what is important is what you want to say about it, whether you understand about um, concept. This is the things that we talk to with students, don't we? So um, I'll stop it there. I'll stop it there because I think it's enough for the session for this, this podcast and for us to understand about why you, we use models. And, and that in itself explains a lot of things and the debate that Nietzsche had with the other guy, um, Ritzet. And Richard referred to Fichte on models and the concept of ideology. And I was trying to review it in the context of the classical orders that's been used for many, many centuries and being made to be the truth. Yeah, that's when it, the, it was um, the significance of the classical orders. And um, in this day and age, we still have uh, conservation practices to to uphold uh, to to safeguard to protect the buildings uh, heritage buildings. This is a debate. This 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 gives a debate about heritage, pro heritage and anti heritage. Yeah, this is interesting. And personally, I have started uh, my career loving old buildings and appreciating the heritage because of the craftsmanship, really, uh, the beauty of, of how it was done. And to me, that is what the craftsman did at that time. It, it, trans, it, it touches me, the person who appreciating that architecture. And the institutionally, it is protected with a different significance. It's, it, talks about significance here. It talks about meaning systems, you know, um, in this text. Um, you give meaning to the system, which is the, the, the old buildings. It could be timber buildings if you're in the context of certain cultures. It could be stone or brick building. Those were traditional material, and those materials existed or were used many hundreds of years ago. So, and in conservation movement, we talk about historical, cultural, and architectural significance, which you should not, if you were to have a change of views or you approach a heritage building, you need to uh, 
um, state what are the significance and then set out to to uh, plan out and explain what you wish to conserve and preserve. And if you were to have a change of use and new materials and construction is added to the existing building, you have justified because you're coming from a point of control by the uh, conservation, um, the, 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 those who are protecting the heritage building. So they are playing the game. So you have to, you can't put your ideology in it. You can't say, I would like to get rid of it because it is protected. And in England, for example, grade one listed buildings, if you were to scratch it or deface it or destroy it in any way, the fine is half a million pounds. So this is no joke. So, um, and then, you know, that's when, um, uh, that's when, uh, power, the power of, of, of over your views, whether you are the intuitive person who don't give a, you know, um, for this heritage building, but you you can't afford to be paying half a million dollars in fine and go against this, could you? So, so these are the debates of what is truth. And it started by that definition of the truth of uh, preserving heritage buildings. The truth of doing some things in a, in a certain manner is, is um, the logics come from a certain point of view and you have to live with that certain point of view. So you can't do just whatever you like, you know. I mean, just say you own a property um, that is a building that is protected under law because it's a, a heritage building or historic building. Who asked you to go and have this property in the first place? But if you want to acquire it through your through the will or through your parent, and you can't you can't just destroy it any way you want to, any way you want to create your own model or your own representation of your life on this earth yeah so that it is that is the uh the second part of why we use models and we did touch upon um 3d representation a physical model is better than drawings we did touch upon that a little and it's good enough for us to to move forward on this. Thank you very much for listening and hope that it was in a way meaningful and helpful to your understanding of the model and its architecture by Patrick Healy. Thank you for listening.